0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. We're still in the counterpart series. By now, you know that in Scripture, a counterpart is a New Testament passage that has an Old Testament counterpart passage so that when you read the New Testament passage, there are parallels between that passage and a specific Old Testament passage. We've looked at several of these over the past several weeks, and today we're going to look at another counterpart. And this this, uh, set of counterparts, which will include two events in the Old Testament and one event in the New Testament, they revolve around a number, and that number is the number 40. The title of this message is The Significance of 40. Let's look first to Numbers chapter 13 verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan which I am giving to the Israelites. Now notice here that God is sending out some men to Spy out the land of Canaan. He is not sending them to see whether they will be able to conquer it. He's sending them there to see what he has already given them. So from the mindset of God, from the perspective of God, this land is already theirs. He's already given it to them. Unfortunately, that wasn't the way the spies, at least 10 of them, understood it. Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out into the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. Now skip to verse 21, same chapter. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, toward Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and some figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40, there it is, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So get the picture. God tells Moses, pick out one leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and send them up into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to spy it out. To see the land that I have already given you. And so Moses chooses 12 men, one from each tribe, a committee of 12. And he sends them up into the the land of Canaan. And they spend 40 days searching out the land of Canaan. And when they come back, by a 10 to 2 vote, they recommend to the nation that the nation not go in there. Ten of the twelve guys on this committee said, we can't go in there. They're too big for us. There's no way we can overtake them. Let's not go. Two of the guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, that's ridiculous. We should go immediately because God has already given us the land. And what did the people do? They voted with the majority of the committee. They followed the recommendation of the ten and they didn't go into the land of Canaan immediately and so God was angry with these people and he consigned them to wander in the desert where they were for a total of 40 years now they'd already been there for two years and so they would continue to wander in that area for another 38 years now skip to chapter 14 numbers chapter 14 we'll read verses 33 and 34 God says, your children will be shepherds here for, here it is again, 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and you will know what it is like to have me against you. Now turn over into the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke is the third book in the New Testament, Luke chapter 4. And we're going to read an episode in the life of Jesus that also revolves around this number 40. Luke chapter 4 beginning with verse 1. Jesus The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. Not true, by the way. And I can give it to anyone I want to. Also not true, by the way. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now notice Jesus has responded to these first two temptations with a quotation from the Word of God. And so Satan decides, well, if you can use the Word of God, so can I use the Word of God. And so in verse 9 it says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The number 40 shows up quite often in scripture. I read one commentator who said that there were 146 times that the number 40 is mentioned. Now you'll forgive me if I didn't go back and go through from Genesis to Revelation and count all those. Let's just suffice it to say that the number 40 shows up a lot of times in scripture. For instance, During Moses' life, you you probably know that Moses lived to be 120 years old. The first 40 years of his life, he he grew up in, in the palace of Pharaoh in Egypt. And then he fled from Egypt and the second 40 years of his life, from age 41 to age 80, he lived in the Arabian desert near Mount Sinai. That's where he got a wife. That's where he learned to farm. And then when he was 80, God sent Moses back to Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And he goes back to Egypt. He leads them out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea and into the Arabian Desert. And for the final 40 years of his life, he devotes his life to winning the uh, Israelites out of captivity and leading them through the desert. 40 and then 40 and then 40. While Moses was in the desert, he went up on Mount Sinai where he met with God, alone with God. And God, you remember, gave him the law, wrote it on stone. And Moses comes down the mountain, and by the time he comes down the mountain during that first 40 days, the Israelites have decided to throw all of their jewelry together and melt it down and to fashion it into the form of a calf. And they call that calf God. It's, a, it's not God, of course. It's nothing more than stone. But it made Moses mad and so he threw that tablet, those, those tablets of the law down and they shattered when they hit the ground. Resulting in Moses having to go back up the mountain for another 40 day period to get a second copy of the law. We're talking about instances in scripture where 40 shows up. Jonah, Jonah, that prophet who... Uh, After he spent some time on a terrible cruise ship, he finally goes to Nineveh, that great city that he hated with everything within him, and he preaches to them. And you remember what his sermon is, a very short sermon. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The prophet Ezekiel at one point laid on his right side for 40 days straight to symbolize that God was unhappy with the sins of the southern kingdom of Judah. The prophet Elijah went without food for 40 days on Mount Horeb as he was running from Ahab and Jezebel. The number 40 in Scripture often denotes a generation of time. From one generation to another was considered 40 years. Jesus, before uh, before his crucifixion, prophesied the total destruction of Jerusalem. Now keep in mind this, Jesus probably was crucified in the year 30. What year was Jesus crucified probably? And in that year, he prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed. It was destroyed by the Roman armies in the year 70. Under the generals Vespasian and Titus, they came down into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in in the year 70. Now, if Jesus died in the year 30, and that was also the year that he prophesied that Jerusalem would be destroyed, and it wasn't destroyed until the year 70, how many years is that between the the prediction and the fulfillment? That'd be 40. The Bible is full of 40s, periods of forty. And because there are so many instances of the number 40 in Scripture, it it becomes very difficult to select any two and say, well, this one is a counterpart of that one. So it becomes really uh, subjective. You select one that is to be a counterpart of the other, and, and that is very difficult to do. And yet that's exactly what I want to do in this message this morning because I believe that if when you take what happens in the book of Numbers in chapters 13 and 14... Two different 40 sequences. One, the spies are sent up into the promised land and they search the promised land for 40 days. Come back and recommend not going into the promised land. The people agree not to go into the promised land, not to trust God. And so God consigns them to 40 years wandering in the wilderness before they ever are able to cross the promised land. You take that dual period of 40s. And you look ahead in the New Testament to Jesus' temptation, which is described in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, in Mark chapter 1, and in Luke chapter 4. And that period of 40 days, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, is a counterpart to what happens to the children of Israel in the book of Numbers. And I think it's interesting that where the Israelites tried and failed Jesus tried and won Now I want you to notice four parallels between the temptation of Jesus in the desert and the wanderings of the children of Israel in the desert First off in both instances the period of 40 was a time of trial and temptation It was a time of trial and temptation The spies were sent up into the promised land, and and they were to go there to see the land God had already given them. But they missed that instruction. They totally misunderstood what God's intention was. And so they went up into the land, not to see the land that God had already given them, but they went up there thinking, well, we we need to examine this land to see if it's possible for us to take it over. And they saw giants in the land. They saw people who were so big in size and in number that that in comparison they said we were just like little grasshoppers. There's no way we could take over this land. So what happened was during this time of spying out the land, God was also testing them to see if they would trust him. And they miserably failed. And so God consigned them to the wilderness, the desert of Arabia for 40 years. And during that time they were tested over and over again a lot of times they complained and grumbled a lot of times they failed and yet god continued to tolerate them he continued to to woo them and to work with them and to love them but it was a period of testing and trial the bible says in uh, luke chapter 3 that jesus was baptized by john the baptist and after he was baptized by the baptizer, Jesus came out of the Jordan River. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. In the Gospel of Mark, which which contributes only two verses to uh, the temptation, uh, Matthew describes the temptation in, in uh uh, 13 verses, Luke in 11 verses, and, and the Gospel of Mark in two verses. And in that verse, the first verse, Mark says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And while he was there for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan. Now both Matthew and Luke describe three of the temptations. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm certain that there were probably many, many more temptations, but they list only three of them. So this period was a time of testing and trial for Jesus. And for that reason, many scholars, when they look at the numbers and study the numbers that are in the Bible, whether it's 1 or 3 or 6 or 7 or 10 or 12 or 144 or if it's 40, they look at them and they, they, they see different meanings in these different numbers. And the number 40 is almost always in Scripture a period of testing and trial and hardship. In both of these instances, there was a time of trial and temptation. Second, in both instances, there were times of hunger. The Israelites were people who loved to eat. They loved to eat. And it wasn't very long at all when they'd gotten into the promised land that they realized, oh my goodness, there are no Chick-fil-A's out here. There are no McDonald's out here. Moses, there's not even a subway out here. And every town that's got at least five people in it has a subway in it. There's not a subway out here. You brought us out here to starve us to death, he says. They said we would be better off if we had stayed in Egypt where we could smell the flesh pots. They called them flesh pots. A flesh pot was really a barbecue grill. And they would cook meat on those grills. But they didn't get to eat the meat. They were cooking that meat for the Egyptians. And they'd forgotten about that. Oh boy, we wish we were back in the good old days when we were in Egypt, when we got to smell the the charcoal grills and the meat being cooked on those grills where we, we ate to the full. They didn't eat to the full, they watched the Egyptians eat to the full. But here in the wilderness, they said, We're starving to death. So, so Moses turns to God and says, God, what am, what am I to do? These people are complaining. And so God gave them something that the Bible describes as, as frost. Every morning, something started covering the ground that looked like frost. And, and they were commanded to gather it up every single day. And they were able to eat it. They didn't know what to call it, and so they called it manna. Manna is a Hebrew, Hebrew word that means, what is it? The modern day term for that is casserole. Nobody knows what a casserole is. They don't know what a casserole is. It's manna, casserole. Yeah, that's it. And every morning they would get it. Now on, on the day before the Sabbath, God told me, he said, you, you're to collect enough for two days because on the Sabbath there will not be any of this stuff on the ground. And sure enough, there wasn't any of this manna on the ground. But God fed them every single day. Later on, he gave them quail to eat. In the middle of the desert. So God furnished for them, but there was a period of hunger. You flip over to the Gospel of Luke and the temptation of Jesus. And one of the things that that Luke tells us in this passage is, in verse 2, he says, For forty days Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I don't know how many days, in, in, in any of us in our lives, how many days straight we may have gone without food. Usually when we do that, it's because we're sick, right? I mean, there are, not too many, there are not too many Baptists that fast anymore. you notice that? We don't. We don't. You can tell that I haven't in a while. Probably need to. Jesus fasted for 40 straight days. And Luke tells us the obvious he was hungry well of course he was listen I can fast one day and I'm ready to eat a horse he fasted for 40 days and then Luke says he was hungry and then in the next statement Luke says that Satan came along with a rock a big rock and he says if you are the son of God turn this rock into bread oh not just any kind of bread you know what Satan was talking about right there? Have you, ever eaten a, have you ever eaten a yeast roll from Old Charlie's? Have you ever had one? Huh? Hello? Y'all know what I'm talking about? With butter on it? That's what Satan was talking about. Turn this rock into an Old Charlie's yeast roll, giant-sized, with real butter all in it. I mean, but what I want you to notice here is he was tempting Jesus right at his point of weakness. Guess what? Satan knows your weakness. He knows the point, your weakest point. He knows the weakest link in your personality, the weakest link in your character. He knows it. Somebody's saying, well, of course he knows it. He's all-knowing. No, he's not. Satan is not all-knowing. He has never been all-knowing. That uh, attribute only belongs to God. God's the only one. God and your mother are the only ones that are all-knowing. But not Satan. We have have assigned to him an attribute that is not really his. He is not all-knowing. That means that somebody had to tell him what our weaknesses are. Guess who did that? You did. We talk too much. And one of the things we do when we talk too much is we let Satan in on some things that he really needs to know in order to hit us at our weakest point. But what I want you to see is that Satan targets Jesus, he tempts Jesus at Jesus' weakest point when he's hungry, and tempts him, first of all, with make this stone bread. And Jesus didn't fall for it. He said, it's written, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that That comes out of the mouth of God Matthew adds that number three in both instances the 40 years in the wilderness and the 40 days of Jesus in temptation each of them was a period of preparation for something more important later Forty years in the wilderness, a number of things happened. Number one, God gave the people the law. Very important. Number two, the entire generation of all of those people in Israel who did not trust God to move into the promised land died. God said... After they decided not to going up into the land of Canaan, he said, all right, that's fine. You're going to wander for 40 years down here, and it'll be long enough for every single person in every generation that voted not to go, you're going to die. If you didn't want to go in now, you're not going in. And so at the end of 40 years, every one of those people, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people died. The only people who got to go in the promised land who were in that generation were Joshua and his family, Caleb and his family. Because they voted initially to go. And so God is preparing the nation of Israel. He doesn't want the faithless going in there. And he wants people with laws to guide them. Not only that, during the 40 years in the wilderness, he gave them what is known as the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a huge tent in which God dwelt for them. And during the day there was a cloud by night that hovered over that tent, and at night there was a fire that hovered over the tent. And, and the fire in the day and the and the, uh, the fire in the night and the cloud in the day let the people know that God was with them continuously. When they got ready to leave, they would take down the tent, they would carry it with them, and wherever they stopped, they'd put it back up. And if they left again, they'd take it back down and they'd move on with it and then they'd put it back up. The whole thing was designed to show the Israelites that wherever they were, God was. It was part of the preparation. Preparation for what? What was God preparing them to do? God was preparing them to move into the promised land. Jesus spent 40 days being tempted, he had just been baptized. All three first Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, describe Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, followed immediately by Jesus being led by the Spirit out into the desert where he was tempted. And during that temptation, Jesus was preparing. God was preparing his son for the ministry that Jesus would undertake after the temptation. Now you say, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Jesus was God, right? Yes, he was. God doesn't need to prepare for anything. That's a good argument. I certainly can't argue against the idea that God doesn't need to prepare for anything. Therefore, Jesus, since he's God, didn't need to prepare for anything. I'll buy that. But here's the deal. God sent Jesus into the desert to be tempted. And yes, he did do it to prepare him for his larger ministry after he got out. Why did he do it? Not because Jesus needed it, but because you and I needed it. You and I needed the example of Jesus being tempted and overcoming it so that we too could know during our times of trial and temptation that we can overcome it. Then the final parallel is this. In both instances, there was the requirement of dependence upon God. The children of Israel could have, as a nation, given up on God multiple times during that 40 years. They could have given up and said, forget it. We're through with this. We're through with God. We're through with Moses. We're going back. And there were times when they almost did go back, but they didn't go back. Instead, through the thick and thin, through the trials and the hardship, through the occasional triumphs, they depended on God, they relied on God, and God was tolerant, he was, he, he, he was merciful to them, and He continued working with them. And that's how they made it. That's how they finally made it to the Promised Land, because of reliance upon God. Jesus was able to withstand the temptation because His heavenly Father, God had given him all the equipment he needed to overcome the temptation. Now, what does that have to do with us? It has everything to do with us because, number one, you and I will go through these what I call periods of 40. Now, they may not be exactly 40 days or 40 minutes or 40 hours or 40 years, but we will go through these periods of 40, these periods of trial and temptation. Some of you are going through them right now. And you 're wondering if they will ever come to an end. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Some of you have just come out of one, and you're first you're for the first time in a long time you 're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and you 're thinking, "Wow, now I can see that God was with me. Some of you are about to go into a period of forty, and you don't even know it." We will go through them. Number two, God will provide for us if we rely on Him, depend on Him. So here's the message in a sentence. When we go through our own periods of 40, not if, but when, we can trust God to see us through the trials and through the the temptations and prepare us for something great. Are you going through a really tough time right now? I don't know if this will comfort you at all, but I can tell you that if you're going through one of the darkest moments of your life, one of the darkest periods of your life, it could very well be because God is preparing you for something incredible if you'll just persevere and endure. Listen, our church, as much as anybody I know, ought to understand the necessity of enduring the trials in order to get to the promise because for 15 years we've been waiting to to experience what we as a church are experiencing now you will have periods of 40 the question is what will you do during that period of 40 that will make you better after that period is over let's pray heavenly father Your word is so powerful. You describe for us times of trial and hardship and temptation that your people went through and that you yourself went through. And in those periods, you show us what not to do and you show us what to do. Lord, you have something far better in store for us than we could ever imagine. But we have to rely on you. We have to trust you. We have to refuse any counterfeit alternatives, any false hopes. And we have to cling to you even when we see no good reason in front of us to cling to you. We must cling to you. Lord, I pray for those who are going through a period of trial right now. period of temptation right now. Strengthen us for these wilderness times and help us to know that you are there and you love us and you want to see us through to something far better. In Jesus' name, amen.